Hi. Thank you guys so much for coming. Um, <clears throat> I know it's as hot as the temperature of the sun outside, but um, the turf's hot, man. Um, would you pray with me really quick? Lord, thank you for the moments now um, that we share. Thank you for your word and what it does um, for us. I pray that any words that are not from you tonight uh, would be forgotten, um, and then hopefully we would be changed um, by the end of this. In Jesus' name, amen. Our text for this evening is uh, Mark 15, starting in verse 16. It says, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, and when they had mocked him, they took off their purple robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph, and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. This is the word of God for the people of God. So this text tonight, um, I think for some of us, um, I know myself, we've heard it once or twice before and maybe have been immune to it, um, have sort of forgotten sort of the intensity um, that it carries. So I hope tonight that we can sort of rediscover that. N.T. Wright even says, um, Christians are too used to the story of Jesus' death in general. We need regularly to find ways of making the story strange again so we can hear it again as if it were new to us. So that's my hope for tonight, that we can um, look at this text that's been read dozens of times and um, hopefully our hearts can be stirred uh, and changed to see sort of the meaning of the cross. A couple of weeks ago, 
I was at a friend's house, and um, I walked outside barefoot. I didn't have any shoes on, and um, I stepped on something. I was like, oh, man, I think it was like a splinter or something, but it was in there for a couple of days, and I, I, it was a tiny thing, but I couldn't put any weight on my left foot. I couldn't walk. I was like stumbling around in the dark trying to figure out what this thing was. So eventually, um, I was like, I, I got to get this thing out. So I take a pair of tweezers and, and, and try to get it out. And it's interesting because what I pulled out of my foot was not uh, a splinter, but it was a single thorn. One single thorn was stuck in my foot. Um, and it's funny because it was so small, but it carried so much like pain. I, I couldn't walk on my foot. Um, and it sort of hit me when I, when I pulled it out and I saw what it was. I was like, man, Jesus wore an entire crown of these, and that's not even the least of his worries. So when we're looking at, especially this text, it's, it's easy for us to just focus on the immense pain that Jesus probably went through um, while he was on the cross. But I don't think that's what Mark wants us to focus on. I think, I think he wants us to look at something a little, a little bit different. So tonight I want to look at a couple of different things that are not... Um, so much focused on the physical pain because that is a huge part. I think Mark would rather um, have us focus on the humiliation and degradation of the king of the Jews, which is huge. It says, they put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and began to call out to him, hail king of the Jews. So purple robe is the color of royalty. Um, so they give that to him basically in mockery, saying, oh, king of the Jews, okay, here's a, here's a purple robe, put that on. Um, the crown of thorns, kings wear crowns. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming they didn't just set it on his head. I'm assuming they put it on there and smashed it down a couple of times. Um, it says, again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling to their knees, they paid homage to him. So it starts with Jesus um, being stripped of his clothes in front of this entire um, group of Roman, um, Roman officers and is just being humiliated in front of all these people completely by himself. This, uh, this, this scene right here where Jesus is, is um, in front of the Romans would have been a perfect opportunity for Rome to sort of make an example of Jesus. Not that they really thought that he was the king of the Jews, but anybody who was against Rome, you know, they could have made an example of him, um, saying anybody who opposes Rome, this is what's going to happen. Again, Mark's purpose is not to emphasize the physical sufferings endured by, endured by Jesus, but rather the indignity, indignities he endured despite of who he really is. So this is completely ironic because while these Roman soldiers are mocking him, calling him, oh, king of the Jews, that's actually who he is. And it's interesting that they completely, completely miss the point of who they're mocking. After the mocking, and in that scene especially, um, Mark leaves out, a very, very gruesome beating that Jesus um, received in that particular um, moment. He's nailed to the cross after this. And it's interesting, we often see pictures of Jesus hanging on the cross with clothes on, but in, in historically, uh, people were crucified naked, which I know growing up, I never saw a picture of naked Jesus on the cross, but um, that just adds to the humiliation and degradation because in, in, in Jewish culture, it was, it was, a sh it was shameful to uh, be seen in public um, without clothes on. Again, this, this scene is just incredibly filled with irony and, and it comes to the sign on the cross where it says, this is the king of the Jews. So it's interesting that they put that sign there 
because they had no idea that that's actually who he was. His humiliation continues as he's nailed to the cross. Um, it says, in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So not only is Jesus being mocked, ridiculed, falsely worshipped by these Roman soldiers, he's then nailed to the cross, and everybody around him continues to do that. Remember, Jesus is completely by himself here. So they're mocking him, taking everything that he said and basically twisting it on him. All the claims that Jesus has made during his ministry that were true, again, they didn't get it, and they were throwing it back in his face. Um, I just think it's interesting that while all this mocking is going on, it makes me think of, um, especially in our culture, I think it's, it's difficult sometimes to take mockery, especially for what we believe. Um, I know personally I haven't experienced that, being mocked for being a Christian, but I know that it is becoming increasingly difficult. So Jesus knows exactly what that's like to be, to be mocked and to be humiliated for everything that he was. So again, the claims that Jesus made ex explicitly and impl implicitly and his warning against the temple are thrown back in his face. So this is a very specific um, quote. So there were claims that Jesus made about the temple. Um, he said he was going to destroy it and then rebuild it again in three days. And these people are sitting here looking at a man hanging on a cross. There's like, there's no way that he's gonna do that. And they're throwing it right back at him. If I was Jesus, I think this would look a little bit different. Um, if I was hanging on the cross, I'm standing there like, yeah, they don't love you, God. Why am I even doing this? They, they've never trusted you. They've never done anything for you. I've told them who I am, and they don't believe me. But he doesn't do that. And as we'll see, he knows what's at stake. That's why he stays. Not only does Jesus face all of this humiliation, degradation, intense pain, psychological pain, he does it completely by himself. Most of his disciples are gone at this point in time. All of, the, all of his closest friends are gone. They've scattered. They've, are, they're just gone. They're not there. And he's hanging on the cross completely by himself. And that would be one thing. But as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there's this intense separation that Jesus feels between him and his father. Um, and I think this is the big thing that Jesus wants us to focus on. So as Jesus is hanging, hanging there on the cross, he's completely, completely by himself. Um, and we see, we see remnants of the relationship between Jesus and the Father uh, going back to the garden where, where Jesus is crying out, if there's any way, if there's any other way to do this, let's do it. And he's met with silence. He gets no response. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, the my God part, that is the first verse in Psalm 22. And um, it's all about a righteous man being slain, um, an innocent man um, being killed in complete isolation. And I know a lot of us, we, we have felt abandoned before, um, whether it's in relationships that are broken, um, people around us in school, difficult times at jobs, um, where we, we call out and it seems like we're met with nothing but silence. 
I know for me personally, the summer has been really different for me, um, just in a different setting, learning a lot of new, different things. Um, and there came a time, I think like two weeks before, like two to three weeks before I went to Young Life Camp, which was a week before football camp, um, I was in a similar spot where a lot of good things had happened, and then all of a sudden it just seemed like I was by myself again. And even though I was doing a lot of the same things, um, like praying and reading my Bible and, and doing all this stuff, like, it just seems like there was no response from God. It, it seemed like no matter how hard I prayed or how hard I tried, it just seems like I was met with silence. And I know a lot of us, um, unfortunately, have felt a lot of those same feelings. And the emphasis here is that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. He knows exactly what it's like to feel completely alone, completely abandoned. Um, but I think the difference between us and Jesus is Jesus knew what was coming. He knew why he was feeling those ways. I know um, for us a lot of times we're unable to see why things are happening in the moment. Um, and it's difficult. We call out, why, why is any of this happening? And we don't know until maybe later if something is revealed to us. I know in those moments of, of isolation, I tried so hard to love God, and I tried so hard to elicit a response from him, but I forgot to let him love me first. Um, I tried so hard to advance instead of letting God come to me um, in the first place. So the humiliation, the degradation, the physical pain of the king of the Jews, um, the weight, the immense weight that he felt on his shoulders um, leads to a comparably quick death. Usually people were on the cross for a couple of days. Jesus dies in about six hours, which is pretty remarkable. Like I said, Jesus knew why he was on the cross. And again, this is just going back to the separation. It says, the horror which overwhelmed Jesus in Gethsemane and then seems to have retreated again for a few hours came back in all its awfulness. Um, a horror of drinking the cup of God's wrath, of sharing the depth of suffering, mental and emotional as well as physical, that characterized the world in general, and Israel in particular. Just, I think tradition says like he, he sweat blood or something. But this is the reason that Jesus is on the cross. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. As soon as he dies, as soon as he breathes his last breath and submits his soul to the Father, this happens. What he claimed to do, destroy the temple, and I'll explain that. Um, he does. It's interesting. Um, the temple in Jewish culture was obviously a place of worship, a place um, where they offered sacrifices, but there was a specific room where only a couple of people could enter. It was the Holy of Holies, if you will. Um, that's where the presence of God resided. And uh, it's actually kind of funny. The very specific people that would go in, they would tie uh, a rope around their waist. So when they went in, um, if they died because of the holiness of God, they couldn't take it, they would just pull them back out. And that makes me think of a couple different stories, like when Moses um, goes up on the mountain and he wants to see God, but God doesn't let him. Um, he only allows Moses to see God as he's passing by um, because he would die. Um, because it, in, our human, in our human state, because of sin, we cannot be 
that close to the holiness of God. Another story in 1 Samuel 6 where um, several people died because they opened the Ark of the Covenant, again, where um, basically the presence of God resided, and they died. Um, this reminds me of this photo um, in Indiana Jones where uh, the, I'll call them the bad guys because I don't want to use the word Nazis, but um, they think that they can uh, unleash the power of God by opening the Ark of the Covenant, and then they all just die. Like, every single one of them, except for Indiana Jones, because he doesn't look at it because he's smart. Um, just like People's heads exploding, like guys' face melting because they just can't handle it. Um, and as funny as this is, like, this was a reality. Like, because of the fall, because of brokenness in the world, because of sin, because of our separation from God, we cannot, we didn't have the access to be with God. Jesus' loud death, loud death cries accompanied by a tearing in two of the temple curtain, which seems to mean that Jesus' death provides the basis for a new access to God, a new temple. Jesus creates a new temple by dying. I think it's interesting because many, many of the people thought that the Messiah wouldn't die on the cross. Like, oh, that's not what Messiahs do. But Jesus claims that he's going to destroy the temple, and that is a huge reason why the uh, Pharisees and the teachers of the law wanted him crucified. It's because of these claims that he were making, and he does exactly that. He doesn't destroy the entire, the entire building itself. He doesn't have it come crashing down like Samson, but um, he destroys the purpose of the temple, that inner room, that curtain, he takes that and completely shatters it and creates something brand new. A connection between God and man that can now exist, that has not existed since the garden. Since the Garden of Eden where there was perfect communion between man and God and then that was shattered, which was a huge part of Israel's entire story during the Old Testament. That communion with God that could not happen because we were fallen and broken is now restored by the death of Christ. So the connection that we sometimes don't feel between God, we feel abandoned, we feel forgotten, like God's way up there doing whatever, you know, sitting up on his throne just watching stuff happen, um, is oftentimes how I think. And I forget about this, that Jesus' death on the cross opens up a completely new door for me and for you to walk through, to walk into a relationship with the God of the universe that we now have access to because of Jesus' work on the cross. The cross is, I know for a lot of Christians, we wear it around our neck um, as a symbol of hope. Um, but it's interesting, if we're going to wear you know, a cross around our neck, we should also probably wear an electric chair because that's basically what the cross was. I know Hebrews 12, 2 um, says, for the joy that was set before him, Jesus, um, he endured the cross and scorned its shame and is now seated at the right hand of God. So he took the cross, something that was meant to kill, and turns it into something that gives life and gives relationship and gives communion that couldn't happen otherwise. My hope for tonight is that um, we would remember that we have access and we have the ability to be in communion and relationship with the God who created the earth, with the God who created each one of us, um, which is really crazy. It is. If I, I just stop and think about it, like, 
my breath is because of God and I can talk to him because of what Jesus did on the cross. And that's incredible. And I hope that we could remember that um, tonight, that we would not be ashamed of, of who we are and that we would, um, according to Hebrews 4.16, um, let it, it says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In the midst of whatever we're doing, whatever we're going through at school or at work or in our homes, in our relationships, um, let us not forget that there is an open table for us to come. In spite of what we've done, in spite of who we are, there's a place that we can come to and have community and have communion with God because of Jesus' work on the cross. You know, before any of this happened, um, Jesus was eating with his friends. Um, and those who are distributing the elements um, can come up at this time. Um, he was eating with his friends. Um, and he took bread and he blessed it. And he said to his disciples, take this and eat it. And whenever you're doing this, do it in memory of me. After that, um, he took the cup and he blessed it again and he passed it amongst his friends um, and said, this is my blood of the new covenant um, that is poured out and shared for you. Um, anytime that you're doing this, do this in memory of me. I hope that when we, when we step into the aisle, we would forget our differences and we, f we would forget, um, forget some other things that are, that are going on and we would look um, to Jesus and remember the work that he's done for us on the cross and that we can come to this common place um, and share a meal, which is one of the most intimate things that um, I think people can do. So when you're ready again, um, come on up.